my wife has been a critical care nurse for several years at Seton Hospital. And one of the things that I like as just kind of uh, someone who has an interest in story is she comes home with kind of these cases. And sometimes they um, have unfolded over several days, uh, but sometimes she just comes home. And, and, and in critical care, as you can imagine, the needs are great. The level of acuity of the patients is very high. Sometimes she'll come home with, we lost a patient today. And you know, I always want to ask her if she, in fact, laid hands on and prayed for some kind of resurrection, because we believe that's true. Uh, <clears throat> but, but then we talk about some of the other situations, whether it be mental illness or whether it be addiction. But she came home with a story that struck me, and it might uh, resonate with some of you. And it was a story about a patient that she had been keeping. And he had been there for a couple of weeks. Uh, he was not an old man. He was 40 years old, but it had an infection, an infection that got into his bone. And, and so uh, some of the, the symptoms were coming out in some different ways. But she noticed his brother, who was also his caretaker, out in the lobby when she was making her rounds. And as she came out to greet him, he had this look this look of frustration, this look of disappointment that his brother, the one he's doing all the care for, didn't recognize him. He didn't know who he was. He wasn't going senile, but he couldn't understand why he wasn't recognized. And so she walks in and starts engaging him. There was a couple of other family members present as well. And yet he knew Laurel as his nurse, which doesn't add to the situation. It's not a help to the, to the caregiver brother. But then he starts saying things like, I saw grandpa and grandpa wants to go fishing. He says that we're going to go fishing and he's inviting me to come. It's like, oh, is grandpa in the room right now? And she's looking around and everyone's like, no, grandpa, in fact, grandpa, grandpa died a couple years ago. Um, but to him, it's very real. To him, it's like he's standing right there. Oh, but grandpa says, you can't come. She says, well, that's okay. I don't want to butt in on your party with grandpa. And then he starts recalling and he says, oh, and he calls out his brother, a brother that had just died a couple of weeks earlier. But he sees him. And then he sees a cousin, a cousin who had died uh, in his teenage years, but was a track star in high school. He says, look at, he's running. He looks so good. And everyone's just kind of looking around like, I don't see what he sees. Well, if you're in the medical community, you go to science. You understand that there's an infection that's gone into his bone, and so we need to do something severe. Is, it a, is there something going on in his head? Is there a clot? So they rush him down to do a CT scan. Laurel's wheeling him down, going in the elevator, going in all the while, talking about grandpa, talking and fishing. And so in the CT scan, if you've ever seen or had one, it's like a big donut that they kind of roll you in and roll you back out. The medical staff, the techs, the nurses kind of stand behind, and as he goes in, he goes in kind of quiet, but when he comes back out, it's very slow moving. Something amazing happened. He comes with one of those from the depths of his belly, one of the most joy-filled laughters, like, oh, <laughs> if you, oh, it was amazing. If you could only see it, it was, I can't, it's so, and he's laughing, this deep belly laugh about this light, this light that he had seen. Now, we've all had 
or heard those stories of people with those lucid visions, those transcendent lights, those kind of moments where they're kind of in this kind of in-between space between what is heaven and what is earth. And we didn't know quite when they're operating that, except that when he came out, there was a kind of clarity. Aside from this deep belly laugh, filled with joy, inexplicable, But Grandpa wasn't to be seen. He still knew who Laurel was, but there was this level of clarity. Rolling it back in, he sees a physical therapist that he had had the week before, and he recounts to her, says, oh, that's right, you're pregnant. You're due in two weeks. And she's like, you have an amazing memory. How did you respond? How do you remember all those things? And as she wheels him back into the room, he recognizes that everyone's there. Now, earlier, before the CT scan, a woman in red had appeared. A woman with a red hat had come and kissed him and said, everything's going to be okay. And they start doing inventory of who we know, sort of the Rolodex of friends and family that could have visited, except no one knew the woman in red. No one had ever seen the woman in red. No one had ever heard from the woman in red. And now he's back in his room, totally coherent. He did not go on to die. But can I suggest to you, There are moments in life that we have where eternity is swallowing up time. And when Jesus comes, he illustrates for us and is trying to teach us the reality that there's this other reality all around us called the kingdom of God. And every now and then, we get to have glimpses moments where we see something more transcendent than the normal, the temporal, and the ordinary. And I would simply suggest that God's in all of that. In fact, I would suggest that the message of Easter is that we would have eyes to see that which transcends the realm of the known, the realm of the scientific, so that we could see eternity in light of a broken humanity. And God, through Christ, has welcomed us into that. And when we are able to say yes to Christ, we're able to allow eternity to have already begun. And so I want to do something a little unique for Easter. We know the Easter story. We know that the tomb was empty. We know that Jesus rose again and and conquered death. But today I want to talk about another resurrection story that Jesus was in fact in part of, but he was the one orchestrating something that I think we're all supposed to see in the raising of Lazarus. And what we have in this encounter in John chapter 11, you can pull it up on your app. There's some notes if you want to type in some notes, uh, or you can just jot a few things. But in John chapter 11, Jesus has this encounter with people that he loved dearly. There was the sisters, Mary and Martha, and it was their brother, Lazarus, who had passed away. And Jesus, never in a hurry, went to this occasion and Martha went out to meet him. And what we see in scripture is what Jesus is helping her and wanting us to see. The difference between what is temporal and what is eternal. And if we walked out of here today with one thing, it would be God 
Help us to see a glimpse of your glory. God, help us to see the eternal realm that's already present, but we miss so much of the time. And so in John chapter 11, we have this temporal versus eternal perspective. Lazarus is sick. She asks him to come and heal, not in any kind of hurry. So clearly Jesus wasn't an American. He's not functioning with any kind of alerts or calendaring in his system. He shows up, but he was only two miles away. That was a nice brisk walk, maybe even a jog, especially if someone's on life support. And yet he shows up late for the party. Now, eventually, we see that Jesus is weeps. Jesus weeps. But in this moment, there's this exchange. And in verse 17, we said, On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Medically, they would have pronounced him dead after three days. So here we have the fourth days as evidence of flatline. That's sort of the medical kind of... Um, uh, reading between the lines, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother, because that's what biblically functioning communities do. Because if you're hurting, if you're limping, if you're grieving, you should never be that alone. In fact, the notion that you have to somehow get your act together to be able to be more acceptable in the community of faith is false. But sometimes we like to somehow present ourselves as maybe more confident, more strong, more healthy than we really are. But in this grieving moment, we get a picture of what community looks like, and they had gathered because they were brokenhearted at the loss of a premature death. That was just a side note, free of charge. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, and Mary, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said, if you had been here, my brother would not have died, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. In other words, she has this conversation. She runs out to meet him because she wants to express his displeasure, her displeasure in his timing, in his actions, that her expectations were not met. Does this sound like your prayer life? Does it sound like God's timing isn't my timing? Does it sound like, God, you, you haven't met me where I'm at? You've given me more than I can handle? This is Martha's story, which frankly I think is my story, could be all of our story. And so Jesus engages her on a very gracious level. Uh, and so what he, he said, I told you, you didn't come, and now he's died. Because Martha is fixated on the physical the temporary, and the seen. And she wants Jesus to fix her problem. He didn't. She's upset. End of story. What is there to talk about? Uh, see, I think Martha's struggle is all of our struggle. We're worried with this present world. We're worried with aging parents, and we're worried about getting good jobs. We're worried about our kids being in good schools, and we're worried about my rights. We're worried about avoiding traffic, and we're worried about package bombs, and we're worried about family drama, and we're worried about ensuring that my kids would be happy. In fact, Jesus, in Matthew chapter 6, talks about the worries of this world and says, don't worry what you'll eat, what you'll wear, uh, what you'll drink. Jesus is saying, I've got this. The Father in heaven is not angry at you. He cares. He sees. He knows. He's there. He's just not in a hurry. 
Martha has no doubt that Jesus can step in to this world and fix it, but he didn't because he's trying to show Martha that there's another world. He's trying to show you and me that there's another world than tomorrow's deadline, than, than the struggle that we're having right now. Many of us believe that there's another realm. We believe in this heavenly kingdom. We believe in this kingdom of God. But the problem is, is we slip into this world. Do we not? So let me just ask you, uh, because it's community of grace, we're saying, how many of you might have melted down this week? How many of you had a not my finest hour kind of week? How many of you, because of stress, lack of rest, had a moment that you would like to have a do-over? How many of you, I don't know, got a note in your mailbox from an anonymous neighbor that said um, that you are using a guillotine method on your crepe myrtles and you're crepe murdering your trees? Did that, I mean, this is just hypothetical, uh, but I'm just wondering if silly things like that happen to you. Or that there's a teenage driver driving on a wet road on the way to school in a $50,000 F-150 with a really bad color on his truck that his parents bought for him and he didn't work at all for. And you melt it down because he's driving unsafe in traffic on 360. Uh, hypothetically speaking. <laughs> Do we not get stuck in the temporal? Do we not get fixated on the scene and the now and the physical? And we lose sight of the kingdom of God that is actually at work all around us. And this is what he comes to do. The world causes us to fixate on what's right in front of us. And it causes us to be anxious. It causes us to be depressed. It causes us to be control freaks and perfectionistic. And it, it's because we're just consumed with a temporal world while another realm already exists. But we're not focused on it. And so we fail to live in light of eternity. And we think we have to maximize this life because if this life is all that it, 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 there is, I've got to be healthy because I've got to have my health. I've got to be rich. I've got to be happy because maybe we, we're so worried that we're not going to achieve something or maybe we've achieved something we're so afraid we're going to lose it. Or maybe we realize we just can't take it with us. So carpe diem, seize the day. Suck the marrow out of life today. And Jesus is like, well, you, well, you can, except you can experience something. See, Martha, like me, it's stuck in a temporal world. And in a temporal world, happiness, confidence, meaning are rooted in everything staying the same. Because then I don't have to use faith. Lazarus is sick, then he dies, Jesus comes, and she's upset. And here's what's fascinating. Jesus, the great shepherd, doesn't respond to her initially. He, he, his response isn't just to comfort her. He doesn't enter into 
her despair. He says that he'll rise again, to which she agrees with the idea of eternal life. But Martha's response shows a different kind of eternal life than Jesus. And this is what he says. Martha said, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, and even though he dies, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? The question is on the table. Uh, eternal life, uh, Martha's perspective is that eternal life comes after temporal life. So we're focused here on eating, on drinking, on taxes, on carpool, on dating. We're focused here on piano lessons, on retirement, on nursing homes, and then we get to eternal life. But what about now, right? That's the question on the table. And here's the distinction that I would simply make is that we think eternal life is somehow sequential. But Jesus responds in a significant way. He does not say, I will be. The resurrection and life, he says, I am the resurrection and life. And what he's indicating is that eternity has already begun for those who are in Christ Jesus. Eternity begins the moment we're able to say yes to Christ and move out of the center and say, take up residence, take up rule, take up reign in our hearts. And so things like hope and acceptance and forgiveness and mercy can happen despite living in a broken world. So that we, like Martha, can say and believe that, and our eyes are open to a world that already exists. It's like a scene out of the Matrix. Do you really want to take the red pill? Because there's a whole other reality. Or you can just take the blue pill and just go on with business as usual. Now, Jesus confronts what I would call sequential thinking with essential thinking. And the, the essential thinking says that eternity has in fact swallowed up time. There's life here. Gratitude, confidence, abundance, acceptance. And he says two things that seem rather contradictory. I am the resurrection and the life. If you believe in me, you'll live even if you die. And then he says, but if you believe in me, you'll never die. Which is it? Both. Yes. Uh-huh. Because Jesus understands that we live in a temporal world and these bodies are longing for redemption. But all of us live in light of our broken humanity going, everything grows old. I hurt more than I used to. I ache more than I used to. I have limited range of motion. Sometimes I pull a muscle getting out of my recliner. I, I just feel, I tore a muscle in my calf playing with my dog in the living room. I, this happened. I was in a boot for six weeks. We are all dealing with the decay of a temporary and, and physical realm. And yet Jesus comes along and he says, uh, once we say yes to Christ, the same time we can experience an eternal reality. And, and so it, it starts to dilute the barrier for the, so that we can actually live in this life. We can find peace even at the bedside of a loved one who's about to die. In Christ, we can find hope and encouragement even in a son or a daughter who's growing up and, and, and growing less needy of you. <laughs> we can find peace in a world that feels largely conflicted. 
See, when we enter into the eternal realm of God's rule and reign, we can experience profound joy despite Russian interference. We can experience joy, joy despite North Korea and despite package bombings. There's joy here and now, not just there and then, for those who are in Christ Jesus, because there's this hope that becomes more deeply rooted. You can find acceptance even in the most corporate, career-driven, competitive, perfectionistic environments. There can be a satisfaction with who you are by a loving God who's already accepted you as you are. This, this, this is life-changing. This is eternity within reach. This, this is the message of Easter is that there is another realm already at play. Um, and so um, maybe some of you are familiar with Dr. Francis Collins. Dr. Francis Collins used to oversee something called the Human Genome Project. Uh, he is now the director of the National Institute of Health. Uh, Dr. Collins was an atheist and a scientist, but the way he put it was, I was an atheist because I was a scientist. And yet he went to medical school and he statistically made an observation that when he was making his rounds, he noticed that every Christian that he came across did not have the fear of death that other non-Christians had. And it started to stick with him. And one day he was ministering, I say that word, he was at the bedside of an elderly woman who was terminally ill. She was going to die in a matter of time. And he says, do you not fear death? And she says, oh, no. I mean, I'll be a little sad to go. There'll be some loved ones I'll be sad to leave behind because I know her, but I know where I'm going, and I know that I'll live forever. And then this elderly lady looks at Dr. Francis Collins, Mr. Degrees out the wazoo, and she says, what about you? And he recognized at that moment he had never given consideration to the actual claims and the narrative of the gospel, Christ's redemptive story. And so he goes to a medical colleague and he starts talking to him about it and he gives him a few things to read, one of which was a former atheist, now writer, professor at Oxford, now dead, by the name of C.S. Lewis. And he gave him one book called Surprised by Joy. If this is your story, I encourage you to read Surprised by Joy. But he also encouraged him with reading, namely the Gospel of John. And it was on a camping trip in the Cascade Mountains in the Northwest United States where at, at, at dawn he saw the sunset and he knew that he knew that he knew that God was real. And the things that he had been reading brought so much resonance that he confessed with his mouth and believed in his heart the reality of the risen Savior. It wasn't about, and now he leads an initiative that combines science and, and, and faith uh, because it was so transformational in his own life. See, everyone who believes will never die because eternity has, in fact, swallowed up time. I think it's hard to rationalize God when we're forced to stare at our own mortality. And when we have our own strength, we think that we have so many options and the God option doesn't always feel pressing because I'm able to put a roof over my head. I'm able on my own to put food on my table. 
How is it that I need God except God? When we begin to see God as a source, we understand that God is the one by his grace that gave me the ability to work, gave me the ability to breathe, gave me the ability to have a higher education. It's all grace. It's all privilege. It's all his mercy. And it's all sourced in God alone. And that has been the change agent in my own life. I think situations like cancer and crisis actually help us see maybe how vulnerable we really are. And most of the time we see our lives as our own. We see our, maybe what we control and believe in our own answers. And so Christ came so that we can have kind of the, the sin, uh, power over sin. He gave his life for ours. And so I just want to pray with you now. I just want you to consider these words. And so I'm just going to invite you to bow your heads with me and, and consider the words of of an empty tomb, consider the words 